Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, and today we're going to talk about uh, a variety of social service needs as the holiday season gets into full swing. Uh, with me in the studio are three fine gentlemen, Joel Rikas from the Shalom Center, Barry Lesso from the United Way, and Julio Alonzo from Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Uh, Mary Catherine Carmichael uh, could not be with us today. We're pre-recording this show, so also you can't join us. Sorry to say you can't phone us with your questions and comments. We're, we're recording this program for airing on November 23rd. But I'm sure we're going to be able to fill this hour very easily because there's, there are a lot of things to talk about. And uh, let's start with – I want to start with Barry to, to sort of give us an overview. You, as the uh, executive director of United Way, you deal with uh, a variety of social services and with all these issues that both Joel and Julio uh, deal with. So what's sort of an overview of, of the need this holiday season? Well, first of all, Bob, thanks very much for having us on the show. And I'm glad you said three fine gentlemen. If you had said two fine gentlemen, I would have wondered for the rest of the show. Um, I assume you would have left me out of that group. So um, so I really appreciate um, joining along with Joel and Julio to, to talk with you today. The, the need this holiday season is continues to show some trends that – probably are not the kinds that we would like to see in the community. And certainly, Julia will talk about the um, fact that his organization um, celebrated, and I use that word in quotes, um, as I'm sure you can see if you look at your radio closely, um, its 25th anniversary this past week. And we talk about the need for these agencies, the growing need for the services like um, food relief for those who are hungry, um, the need for, for to provide opportunities for those who are homeless to get back into stable, safe housing. And we really see that that need is not decreasing over over time. We, assert, of course, hope it does. And we continue to work all of these agencies, United Way member agencies as well as other agencies, not only to make sure that we're addressing the need today, but hoping we can do things that will reduce that need tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And as we help people in this community build financial stability, help them get into a situation where they don't not find themselves in poverty, we know that that's the long-term answer. But I think as we all three of us will, tell, will talk about throughout the day, those transitions are not easy. They take a while. Um, sometimes folks are starting out from a very um, difficult situation. And this is, again, what the agencies are all working towards is helping individual people, um, people who live here right in our community, to overcome their challenges so that they have an opportunity for a successful, um, self-fulfilling life that is not does not include poverty. And it's just one of those – one of those hopes that we have, but more than that, is something that we all work for every day. And we rely on those throughout the community to partner with us to help get this done. Mm-hmm. I want to turn to Joel first and talk uh, a little bit about homelessness before we go into uh, to the issue of hunger. And I know all these work together, but um, I'd like for you to define homelessness because I think that some people have that stereotypical in, uh, image of somebody who's living under a bridge somewhere, but I know it's much greater than that. Sure. Well, the uh, definitional issues are, are uh, very important in terms of articulating the issues and, and trying to find solutions. Um, the federal government defines homelessness very narrowly, um, people sleeping in a place that's uh, commonly considered to be unfit for human habitation, staying in a publicly or privately run shelter for the homeless and, and so on. Uh, Advocates define that much more broadly. Uh, for example, we work with people every day who are homeless, but they're invisible. They're staying with somebody from night to night. Um, that's particularly true of families with kids. Uh, we don't see them lined up at the Shalom Center, for example, at noon for lunch. Typically, uh, they're staying with other families uh, in an overcrowded situation, which is detrimental for both families uh, in the long run and ultimately leads to homelessness. Um, but yeah, there's there's no one um, uh, uh, picture or snapshot, if you will, of a homeless person. Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about that. I mean, the homeless, uh, quote unquote, is a term in our view that was, was invented by the media back in the early to middle part of the 80s, which is when, which was when uh, homelessness emerged as a major social issue in this country. Uh, and it's remarkable when you look around the country, how uh, close in timeline that was. Uh, I originate from New England, for example, and in the 
cities I was working in during that time period. It was about 1983, 1984, where communities began to take notice that there were all these people and what are we going to do? And I was struck when I moved to Bloomington uh, to discover that uh, our first shelter institution here, uh, the former Shelter Incorporated, was uh, formed in 1985. So very similar timelines. Um, but the point being is, uh, in our view, that uh, there's no such thing as the homeless. The homeless, uh, people who experience homelessness are individuals like you and I with their own histories, uh, their own hopes and dreams for the future, their own uh, demons or devils that they're struggling with. Um, what we do notice, though, are some, some common denominators, uh, which I think relate to the experience of homelessness. Uh, one big one is... Uh, commonly a, a significant loss of self-esteem and self-confidence. Uh, when, when you think about that, that certainly makes sense. I mean, if you arrive at the door of your local shelter tonight with all your possessions on your back, uh, a lot has happened to get you to that point. Uh, another common characteristic that we find um, among those that we serve every day uh, are the loss of a support system. Uh, I'll often ask people to think about those times in their lives, and we certainly all have these when something goes wrong. Uh, it may be a job loss, it may be an illness, it may be a divorce. Uh, for most of us, that support system is a phone call away to help us through that difficult time until we're back on our feet and, and moving forward again. Um, for many of the folks that we see, the support system has been lost for, for a variety of reasons. So you essentially become their support system. Precisely, yeah, yeah to a certain extent. Uh, and then a final common characteristic that we see is uh, really a profound isolation, uh, again, related to that loss of a support system. Many people are really out there on their own. So we view a big part of our work um, as helping people to restore that sense of self-esteem, that self-confidence. Um, you know, we often feel that we've had an impact if we've done nothing more uh, then help people recover that ability to dream again, which we all need, I think, to move forward with whatever it is that we'd like to do. Um, that isn't quantifiable. I certainly can't sell that to a, to a funder, if you will, but it's an important first step. So some other, uh, some other common misconceptions, uh, stereotypes are that uh, people experiencing homelessness do not want to work, and we find just the opposite. I mean, the the drive to work is probably uh, the strongest single thing that people express in that hierarchy of needs. Um, and it's very, uh, very striking in that people uh, are homeless today, not sure where they're going to stay tonight, where they might eat next. Yet the will, the drive to, to find work is, is very, very strong. Um, there's been a lot of research done around the country um, and it varies a little bit. But Typically, I think advocates nationally, and our, our experience reflects this here, is a good third of the people that we see every single day are, are employed. Uh, the issue is the, the wages don't match up with our local cost of living, and that's very specifically related to housing. Um, for many, the American dream is no longer uh, that premise that if you are working, you'll be able to put a roof over your head for you and your family and be able to provide the basic necessities, food, shelter, health care, and, and so on. And that's simply no longer true. Mm -hmm. Now, talk a little bit about the uh, the trends that you're seeing in terms of the numbers. I mean, how many how many people um, are you serving at the Shalom Center? And are these numbers getting larger or getting smaller? The numbers are getting larger. Um, <clears throat> Monroe County um, continues to have one of the higher, higher poverty rates in Indiana. Uh, at one time at the turn of the century, I think from the 2000 census, we were ranked first uh, in terms of poverty level. Um, I think we're now, uh, based on the last research that I've seen probably about sixth or seventh. Uh, but the point is still significant uh, poverty in this area. So uh, and, and poverty really is the, uh, is the central issue. I mean that simply defined is insufficient income to pay for basic expenses, housing, food, health care, child care, transportation and so on. Um, homelessness, hunger, 
lack of health care, those are all manifestations of that principal issue of poverty. So as poverty persists, uh, all of us, I think, those of us who feed people, those of us who shelter people and, and work on those related issues continue to see more and more people. Uh, last year, in our last full body of, of data that we have, uh, the Shalom Center served 1,413 different men, women, and children during that year, which is an all-time high for us. Um, and then underneath that, certainly, uh, uh, the numbers of people we're feeding is up. Uh, we've had two consecutive years of 16 percent increases, and I know Julio will certainly want to expand on that, uh, given uh, their function of, of knowing what many uh, many of those programs are doing in a six-county area. Uh, we're seeing uh, some significant trends, more and more elders coming in, uh, many of them not requesting social services but coming in for meals and to get groceries. And that certainly makes sense um, for many uh, living on a fixed income, uh, being able to take advantage of any food resources as a way to uh, stretch the budget. Uh, we continue to see more and more young people who are unsheltered. And um, in this case, I'm referring specifically to adolescents, uh, young people in their mid to, to late teens um, who we would classify as throwaways. Uh, runaways is really not an, an accurate reflection anymore in this country of, of uh, the reasons that we have young people on our streets. Uh, more and more of these young folks are... Uh, coming from homes where there's violence, where there's significant uh, substance abuse issues, and they're on our streets uh, doing whatever they need to do to survive. And uh, I think it's important for our community to understand that we're not immune from that. Um, you know, many of those young people that we see on the streets, on their skateboards, uh, we'd like to imagine, and I include myself uh, being a parent, that they're all going home in the evening to their families and will be doing homework and so on. But many of them are out there. So that that's another trend that we've been seeing over the last year or so. I love shows like this. You know, we have three very articulate spokespeople for um, the issues that we're talking about today. Any one of you could have filled the you know, the hour that we have available. Julia has been very patient. We haven't let him speak yet. Oh, and I'm it, learning a lot. I, I know. And so am I. And so uh, hopefully our listeners. But Julia Alonzo is uh, also here, our third guest. And, and uh, you know, Joel talked a lot about issues of poverty and issues of, of homelessness. And hunger goes along with that. And he also talked about the number of folks that they, they serve right. at the Shalom Center. Your sort of overview of the, the hunger situation in our community. Well, uh, a lot of what Joel has, has just said is, is very familiar to me, actually, because we uh, at the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, we, as, as you may know, we don't serve individual clients. We serve the agencies that serve them. We work with over 86 agencies in a six-county service area, and uh, I don't believe there's a single one of those agencies that's telling us their numbers are going down. In fact, it's, it's exactly the opposite. We're seeing uh, pretty substantial increases in, in service numbers uh, across the board in all six counties. And we're just working very hard at the food bank to to try and keep up with that need and, and provide as much food as we possibly can to these agencies. Now, when you um, talk with the different agencies, and, and you know, Joel has already been very articulate about some of the issues that, that they're facing at the Shalom Center, are the kinds of things that Joel talked about in, in terms of more seniors – more teenagers, you know, what are the reasons that these 86 agencies are telling you that their their need is going up? Well, there, there are a few key issues. Uh, there, uh, there are a whole myriad of issues and there are any, any number of reasons that a person might find themselves in a circumstance where they need emergency food assistance. But there, there are a few key issues from, from our point of view and I think Joel's already touched on some of those. You know, it used to be that if you, uh, you know, you work hard, you pay your taxes, you do what you're supposed to do, you can afford a home and food and uh, and, and live a nice life. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, our, our 2006 Hunger in, Amer in America study showed that of the 25,000 clients served by our, our 86 member agencies, 58% uh, of those households have at least one employed adult. Uh, less than a third receive food stamps. Less than 12% receive traditional welfare benefits. So the biggest trend that we're, we're finding more and more is that the folks accessing emergency food assistance, a lot of them are working people. They're people who have jobs but simply don't make enough to, to get by. Um, 
in, in terms of seniors, I think that's another key population that we're seeing. Twenty-eight percent of our clients had to make a choice between food and health care. Uh, for a lot of, of seniors, that's that's a reality every day is for them to, to make that choice. And when you see things like gas prices spike the way they have or, or heating prices, uh, those kind of increases have a, a, a very significant impact on people who are, are on the margins or struggling with low incomes. And uh, it forces them to make choices in their lives and in their financial planning. And, and as Joel said, if uh, if food is available, if that's something that they can come and, and access, then they have the resources to to divert to other issues like higher gas prices or heating or something like that. Mm-hmm. I want to remind you, uh, listeners, our listeners out there today, that uh, I'm talking with Joel Rikas from the Shalom Center, Barry Lesso from the United Way um, in Monroe County. Barry, what's the official title of the United Way group now? United Way of Monroe County. Excellent. Yep. Great. Yep. <laughs> All right. And yep. Julio Alonzo, who's with the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, and and as Julio just said, uh, Hoosier Hills Food Bank serves 86 agencies in six counties in South Central Indiana. Um, we're pre-recording this program for uh, your pleasure today on November 23rd. So you can't phone us with your questions and comments. Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, handle the, the questioning end from here. Barry. Um, Julio mentioned the fact that that gas prices, heating prices, he mentioned medical costs. I mean those are all issues that some of the agencies that are United Way agencies Mm -hmm. um, deal with every day. Could you uh, expand a little bit on issues of health care and issues of what these heating costs are doing to people? I thought your question was going to be are gas prices really rising? Um, We all know the answer. I would have been happy to take that that question. Um, Yes, the the impact of gas prices, the impact of some of these other costs really are impacting – Seniors, they're impacting young families, they're impacting people across the board. Our agencies that work particularly with the senior population, including in the Monroe County and Owen County area, Area 10 Agency on Aging, reports a continuing increase in demand, particularly for some of the most basic services like food, like um, the food deliveries, home visitations, nursing visits, and certainly as we talk with our friends at Volunteers in Medicine, Dr. Hadawi had estimated that about 12,000 people would be seen the first year and, and people thought um, Dr. Hadawi might be a little generous in his estimate that in fact that number would probably be much lower and how could that many people possibly be seen in the first year of operation and it looks like they're on track to see more than 12,000 people in this first year. They opened in April, the mid to end of April 2007 and certainly they have just been full and flooded with people who do not have access to medical services, do not have health insurance, make less than 200 percent of the federal poverty line, which is what I think Joel and and Julia would regard as a wage that would allow people to not need food services, not need subsidized housing. So we're talking about a group that needs some sort of supports and really medical costs are the sort of things that that can hit you very quickly and to a significant degree. So the Volunteers in Medicine Clinic located here in Monroe County but also serving Owen County has really seen strong demand and particularly working with those populations. Now, the children, um, young people are still being – who come to Volunteers in Medicine are still being referred to Southern Indiana Pediatrics who have agreed to provide um, some wonderful services in in conjunction with with VIM clinics. So we're getting a lot of help that way. But demand – you can track demand and the changes in demand by the costs in some of what we might consider to be subsidiary expenses, subsidiary costs. We see gasoline prices or fuel prices increase. We see costs of other types of serve, other types of goods increase and that does. It sometimes just takes people from a position where they have that financial stability and puts them into a situation where they are no longer stable. And then it's a matter of what is it that I'm not going to pay for anymore? Is it health insurance? Is it food? Is it housing? And these are very uh, obviously horrible decisions to have to make but also a decision that a family would need to sit down and choose between paying for medicine and we see this particularly among seniors paying for medicine and paying for food. And so we hear about seniors who decide to cut their dosage in half so they can get through the rest of the month without getting the prescription refilled. This is, um, in some cases, that is not 
the way that medicine works. You just cannot cut your dosage in half. You cannot take it every other day. You cannot skip the last week of the month until you have the ability to refill a prescription. And so we see people making the decisions they feel they need to make, not knowing necessarily that the community services are out there to help them, but making these decisions. And then, of course, if you don't take certain medications, you can get very sick and require um, all sorts of acute medical care at a much higher cost to to you and to the community. Um, and it's just, it's just obviously a, a difficult situation. So we want to make sure that people understand the services that are available. If someone isn't sure about whether something is covered, whether they can get help, whether they can get food or housing or employment support, call 211. It's free. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You just pick up any telephone, push a two, a one, and a one, and you will be connected with a human being who can help you figure out what services are available in this community and which ones you qualify for, and not only that, where they are and how you can get there. Because otherwise, for us to hear about, gee, there's Shalom and there's Hoosier Hills Food Bank, um, I need to know how to get to these places. That's what 211 is all about. Yeah, I, I want to ask about 211. I'm glad you yep. brought it up because that, that service has been available for now, what, a Just year? Just about a year. About that's a year. right. And how much usage has it gotten? Has it been, has it been um, you know, that one link that a lot of people have found? Well, you know – the first couple of days, it was all of us just calling and going, hey, is it still working? And so the demand was really high those first few days. Um, after we stopped making sure that the telephone line worked from just about every phone in the world, um, we recognize now that demand continues to increase. They are talking with hundreds of people a month and, and sometimes dozens a day, um, particularly towards the end of the month when people recognize they're going to run out of um, money towards the end of the month. Where can I get food? Where can I get diapers for the baby? And and of course, you know, when somebody calls and needs to know where they can get food, there's a really good chance for the 211 operator to find out what's really going on. What is causing you to run out of money at the end of the month? And how is it that we can get you hooked up with a service that might be able to provide a longer-term solution? Certainly, let's get you the food. Certainly, let's make sure you're in a safe place. But what is it that we're going to be able to do to really help you achieve that level of stability again? But the number of phone calls rises every month, and they're expecting um, certainly tremendous um, demand as we get closer to the end of the year as as things get colder, as people have to pay utility bills, and as we get closer to the holiday season. And again, I would encourage people who have goods to donate um, to call 211, and the 211 folks have a good sense of what's going on there as well, as do our friends at the Bloomington Volunteer Network. Mm -hmm. Now, before we leave the 211 uh, issue, uh, how is it funded? And if you have somebody there all the time, are these volunteers, and how does one become a volunteer. Absolutely. Um, 2-1-1 is funded partly by a, a, a group of people in the community who have just decided this needs to happen, Monroe County Government making a contribution, Smithville Telephone. Um, this is coordinated, managed by an, an Area 10 Agency on Aging, which is also making a financial contribution, and United Way is investing funds in 211, and we were um, happy to do that because we feel this is an important service for the community. At this point, and 211 is a nationwide service. It is not available throughout the country, but it's, it's designed to be a national service um, akin to 411, 911. And certainly the folks in our local branch have um, working on um, getting their full accreditation. And so they are building up their capacity. And part of that is bringing on volunteers who can answer that phone, provide some, some provide good, credible information and work with the 211 staff. Um, I think the best way to, to see if there's a volunteer opportunity for, for, for someone who'd be interested would be to call Two one one, and that's what makes you know. I think that they put this in place just for me, just so I would only have to remember one phone number. Um, but if you'd like to call Area Ten Agency on Aging, if for some reason two one one doesn't work for you, um, we certainly want to know about that. Or you just want to talk with the folks at Area Ten, you can call eight one two eight seven six three three eight three. All right. Thanks very much. I want to remind you again that our, our guests today are Joel Rikas from the Shalom Community Center, Barry Lesso from the United Way of Monroe County, and Julie Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, which serves uh, agencies, 86 agencies in six counties, Monroe and what are the others, Julio? Uh, 
Brown, Lawrence, Orange, Owen, Martin, and Monroe. All right. And we, we are being pre-recorded today. We're going to take a short break now, and then we'll come back with our three guests and uh, finish up the program about how you can help for the holiday season and about what the trends are out there in terms of, of homelessness, hunger, and other issues involving poverty. You're listening to Noon Edition. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for the Bloomington Pops presentation of Christmas with the Pops, Light Up the Holidays. Two performances surround the Bloomington downtown canopy of lights. Artists include saxophonist Otis Murphy, jazz ensemble Six in the City, and a visit from Santa Claus. That's this evening at 5.30 and 8 at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. More at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with our three guests today, Joel Rikas from the Shalom Community Center here in Bloomington, Barry Lesso from United Way of Monroe County, and Julia Alonzo from Hoosier Hills Food Bank, representing um, agencies in six different counties in South Central Indiana. We're recording this program uh, earlier in the week for uh, your pleasure today, so you can't call us. But uh, we're hoping to get you into a generous mood as the holiday season um, begins in, in full swing because as we've discussed in the first half hour of our program, the, uh, the need is certainly there. I think people in Monroe County and in many of the other counties in, in our area, uh, a lot of us are very comfortable and we don't necessarily recognize how much need there is out there and how that need is growing. So um, I, I wanted to start off this half hour by asking each of you if you if you could. I mean obviously we don't want to name any names. But uh, I think sometimes it's helpful to be able to put a face on some of these issues. So you know, if you can sort of think about a, a client that you serve, a person who you've met doing your, your, your work and how um, – how circumstances in a person's life, uh, whether it's gas prices going up to $3 a gallon or heating bills going up or some kind of health care issue, have put them in a position where they were uh, in need of your services and, and how that worked. And, and Joel, can we start with you? Sure. <clears throat> um, there, there's certainly lots of, uh, lots of good examples. One that immediately comes to mind is a couple with three children we worked with this past summer. Uh, I remember meeting them uh, for the first time, I think in July or August. Uh, They were referred in by another agency and they were referred because they were under eviction for non-payment of rent. Um, Lovely family, three beautiful girls, all elementary school age. Unable to pay their rent for a couple of different reasons, um, almost the perfect storm, which is something that we see uh, commonly in terms of of, uh, things falling apart and and households needing to come forward. Um, Dad is a clerk at one of our local supermarket chains. Uh, Mom works uh, during the school year. Uh, for the Monroe County school system in their cafeterias. Uh, So she works through the academic year and then is off for the summer. Um, The confluence of events for this family was the school year came to an end. Um, Dad became ill, pretty serious serious illness about that time, was unable to work. Um, Family did not have health insurance. borrowed from extended family, did some juggling of bills, utilities, rent, and so on, 
which is again something that we commonly see and I think was was touched on earlier, the choices that people make each and every month when there's insufficient income. And finally, it fell apart. Uh, they were unable to pay the rent. They were issued the eviction notice. Um, at the point we saw them, uh, they had received the notice, had been to court and the clock was ticking, so to speak. Um, in that case, I'm happy to, to report a positive outcome. We were able to arrange um, with a combination of our own funds and other charitable resources in the community, uh, the funds sufficient to prevent that eviction and keep that family housed. But a very, a very common or very typical scenario where um, – uh, it really reflects the, the nature of poverty, the day-to-day -day realities. Living in poverty is a, a very fragile equilibrium. Uh, people do well for a while, but the least upset to that equilibrium, it can all fall apart. Um, oftentimes, that's because of the lack of health insurance, uh, the inability to afford afford medical uh, costs. Uh, sometimes it can be something as straightforward as the car breaking down and insufficient income, monies to pay for those car repairs, inability to get to work. And um, in many of our uh, jobs here locally without any type of benefits, that can mean loss of a job. Uh, sometimes childcare. This is something we see commonly. Uh, families working uh, in positions with, with no real benefit package. Um, child is sick. Parent needs to make a choice between work and caring for their child. And most of us are going to care for our child. That oftentimes can mean the loss of employment and subsequent loss of income and, and dire circumstances. So uh, the example I use is just one, but it certainly reflects the reality of living in poverty. And I want to turn to Julio next. And Julio, you know, as, as you've said, Hoosier Hills Food Bank um, doesn't provide direct services to clients, but you, you provide services to the agencies that serve clients. But right. you've worked with other agencies before. You might give a little bit of a bio of some of the other agencies that you've been involved with. Um, as you enter into your story about one family or – so – so sure. tell people what, what else you've done. <laughs> well, I've, I've done a lot of things uh, actually, Bob. But uh, what you're probably referring to is the, the, the four years that I spent as executive director of Community Kitchen of Monroe mm -hmm. County, which is one of the member agencies that we work with at the, uh, at the food bank. And that agency provides uh, free uh, hot meals to, uh, to anyone, no questions asked, six days a week here in Monroe County and really provides a, a very valuable service. And uh, I did get to – to see a lot of folks uh, who were experiencing hunger, homelessness and, and poverty uh, at the kitchen on a regular basis and, and now I'm a little bit removed from that, working more directly with the agencies and less with the clients. I, I think rather than um, – then give you a specific story. I'll, I'll probably say I'll, I'll do something that'll probably get me in trouble if my mom is listening today. But but I, I kind of like to use that as, as the example. My mom recently moved to Bloomington and, and retired, and um, I would not consider her a person in poverty. And she does have a good su support network. Uh, both my brother and, and myself are here. And uh, but this is a person who has worked their entire life. Uh, turned 65 years old and, and retired, has Social Security and a small pension. Um, and, and you'd like to think that someone who reaches that stage in their, uh, in their life uh, doesn't have to worry about, uh, about money and, and basic necessities anymore. And um, what I've seen in, in working with her as she goes through, uh, went, went through the retirement process was, uh, was how much of an influence health care had on, on costs to her. Um, you know, you think someone reaches 65, oh, great, they've got Medicare, they're, they're taken care of. Well, Medicare only covers certain things. You pay premiums for Medicare and you wind up paying hundreds of dollars a month in premiums for supplements for Medicare and, you know, just in order to be able to take care of yourself. Um, that I, I see a lot of her income just going right out the door again to, to those kind of, of, uh, of needs and, you, you know, you put a couple that with a, a mortgage or a rent payment and it really doesn't leave much room for someone to – uh, to experience something like the car breaking down or the furnace going out or or, or anything like that, so a lot of folks um, are are just sort of on the margins like that. There, you know, that one thing can can really tip the scales for them, be it the car breaking down or the furnace or something else with the house. And, uh, and I think that's a lot of, of what we're seeing, people who are just right there uh, on the bubble, and something happens to to push them over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And mom, don't be mad at Julio about that. That was Please. a very, very uh, a good story to tell because I think a lot of people are in that situation. And I could say that, you know, I've experienced some of the same issues with my mother as she ages and she's in her 80s now. But health care costs, med- costs for medicines are extraordinary for all the health issues that she has. So, Barry, how about you? I think Julia's mom will be fine. She's a great lady and, and, and I wish her a happy Thanksgiving. So um, certainly I, I hope she is listening today. We, we hear a lot of stories from our 26-member agencies um, who are working with people throughout the community. Just one that comes to mind, this was a fellow who had been working, um, had a good job at a one of the industrial places here in our community, lost that job. Along with that loss came his loss of medical insurance and he, his um, spouse became ill and there were bills in excess of his ability to pay and certainly bills that probably would have been difficult for any of us with co-pay and, and co-insurance. And he had gotten himself into some financial difficulty and I, I don't believe he declared, declared bankruptcy but certainly when you um, don't pay bills and don't pay them on time, it does hurt your credit rating. Someone said, you know, this would be – why don't we get you into a retraining program? Let's get you a student loan. Let's get you back into retraining so you can go back and get a good job. And he went to apply for a student loan and found out his credit rating had suffered so much that nobody was going to give him a student loan. So he couldn't start school. So he was really caught in this catch-22. You, you, you can't get on to the next phase in your career because it's going to take an investment in a student loan to do that. He couldn't qualify for a loan because he had encountered some medical expenses. So we, we were able to work that situation out. Um, we hear of people who are not making ends meet, decide they want to go back to school. But as Joel and Julio both said, something, something like child care. How do we get affordable child care? And of course, Monroe County United Ministries able to offer sliding scale child care. And I guess this is the – everybody's mentioned something that Joel's story and Julio's story and the ones that I've talked about really do have happy endings. Things have worked out OK. And in a lot of cases in our community, things do work out OK. But it's only because we've got volunteers who are ready to assist these nonprofit agencies in providing these services. We've got well-qualified and caring staff members and we've got the resources. People have been generous to the agencies in this community allowing us to do this work, allowing us to supply 2 million pounds of food, allowing us to see 1,413 people at Shalom Community Center. That's what allows these things to have happy endings. We don't see people starving to death in our community, thank goodness. We don't see people dying because they've exposure to the elements, thank goodness. In other communities, we do see those things. They are not entirely unknown, but we certainly have a support mechanism in place so people don't need to. Um, but it takes resources to keep that mechanism together. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great segue into what I want to talk about next. But I also want to want to refer to a couple of things that were said in the first half hour in case some of the listeners have just joined us. Um, and Julio and Joel, correct me if I'm wrong, but Julio, I believe you said that that uh, the people that your – the 86 agencies that the Hoosier Hills Food Bank serves, 58 percent of the people who receive services from those agencies have at least one employed person in their, in their household. That's correct. Right? And Joel, you said that 33 percent of the people that you serve at the Shalom Community Center are working. So this is an issue that uh, if you missed that in the first half of the program, I think that's, that bears repeating that you know, when we're talking about these agencies providing services to people in our community, these are people who are working, who want to continue to work, but it's just difficult for them to make, make ends meet. I want to turn back to Julia. We, uh, uh, you had a great celebration last week, 25 years for the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, I wanted to ask you, and then I'll certainly give Joel and, and Barry a chance to answer a similar question, but what does the Hoosier Hills Food Bank need from the community now? I mean, I know we've talked. I know that there's been a lot of generosity this year, even though the need outstrips the generosity. But talk about you know what, what the future is for the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and what you need from the community. Sure. Well, we always need food. That's, that goes without saying. Uh, and uh, fortunately, this time of year, that's on a lot of folks' minds and we have a, uh, a number of food drives going on out there in the community. And uh, hopefully, we'll have enough food to help 
uh, help our agencies make it through the holidays as they try to put together their meals and, and holiday food baskets and that kind of thing. We have actually had a record year in terms of food distribution. We've distributed a little over 2 million pounds of food this year, and that's the first time we've, we've ever done that. In fact, we're 55 percent ahead of last year's food distribution numbers, and we still have Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas to go, uh, or at least as of the day we're taping this, we do. Uh, but we, you know, we still have a few weeks to go left in the year, and, and we're already well, well ahead of, of the record uh, amount of food that we've ever distributed. So we can always use more food, and I encourage folks to contribute, whether it's to us or one of the many agencies that we work with directly. Um, in, in, in any case, we appreciate that. But uh, but all moving all of that food requires a lot of space and, and resources and and, uh, and logistics. And what we have found is that the the warehouse that we're working out of and have been since 1995 is just far too small for um, for what we're doing anymore. More. We're moving 200% more food than we were at the time we, we purchased that building in 1995. And we recently com- completed a feasibility study that was funded by the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County to uh, help us assess exactly what we needed to do to, um, to continue doing what we're doing and have a little bit of room for growth. And what we came up with was, uh, was that we needed approximately 25,000 square feet of warehouse space in order to continue the programs that we're doing and have a little bit of room built in for growth. And that's, uh, that's really the, the campaign that we kicked off with our, our anniversary uh, event on Friday. Uh, we're, we're asking the community to help us raise that 25,000 square feet of warehouse space for the 25,000 people that we serve. So we're calling it our 25 for 25 campaign, and you'll probably be hearing more about that in the coming weeks and months. How many square feet do you have now in the current location? Right now we have about 6,000 square feet of space at our warehouse on uh, on Fairview Street, and we are borrowing about 11,000 square feet of space that's, mm-hmm. that's donated but only temporary. We'll only have use of that space for uh, a little more than another year. My uh, suspicion is that unless things change dramatically, even going to 25,000 square feet of warehouse space, you may be borrowing more space sooner than you'd like after that. <laughs> well, I certainly hope that's not the case, but you, it, it, it could be because uh, you know, part of the, the increase we've seen this year is an increase in our capacity. We're, you know, I think this need has been here for some time. We're just in a better position to meet it now because we've been really aggressive about raising more food out in the community and raising the money to buy food when, when we need to do that, when donations don't cover it. Mm-hmm. When Julio called Bob and said, if I could store a little food in my freezer at home, then I knew. That's when I knew. That, you know. yeah. 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 You're going to get me in trouble with the health department. <laughs> right. You can store those uh, non-perishables in, the, uh, you know, in your cupboard. There you go. Right. Joel, I know that the Shalom Community Center is in a, uh, a situation now where you're looking for different space. Um, tell us how that's going. Uh, it's going well. Um, I think first of all, I'd like to say, and I think I can safely say for all of us in the charitable sector, um, thank you to this community mm-hmm. and, and this region for all its support. Um, as someone who's worked in, in different parts of the country, um, I've been impressed from the day I arrived with how generous this community is. I think uh, none of us uh, could do what we do without that support. And I also wanted to mention it, it really expands on some earlier conversation, but uh, uh, you know, communities like ours are really, uh, uh, really affected by what's happening on a national level on these issues. Uh, we, we really have to deal with the fallout. Um, some very specific examples, um, very briefly. Uh, last week, the, um, the president vetoed the labor, health and human services and education budget which Congress was uh, sent out and uh, among many other things contained in that budget are programs like Head Start, uh, the low-income energy assistance program, more commonly known here as fuel assistance. Um, That potentially means – and certainly there's a ways to go in in this process – but something like that potentially means uh, less people able to heat their homes, uh, less families able to get childcare slots so they can work. Uh, that in turn means more pressure on the charitable resources uh, in this community in terms of helping people to meet those needs. So uh, again, thank you to this community. Your support is needed, uh, if not as much more than ever, um, and certainly a reason to uh, support the United Way campaign, which I'm sure Barry is going to talk about here 
in a moment. Uh, and then very briefly uh, in terms of the Shalom Center, we're a very young agency. I think it's important for the community to understand that. We've just finished our fifth year. We've been uh, working out of temporary quarters since day one. Uh, uh, first, uh, the generosity of the, the First United Methodist Church on 4th Street in housing us all these uh, first five years. And most recently, um, we had to give up uh, a companion facility that we'd opened on Washington Street. And the First Christian Church on the corner of Kirkwood and Washington has stepped forward and given us uh, space as well. But these are temporary arrangements. Um, we uh, have grown just uh, very rapidly. The, the growth has been explosive here in these first five years. Um, during mealtime, for example, we have people standing up, sitting down, uh, eating outside because there's simply no more room. Um, all of our staff don't have office space to work, nor do the, the visiting agencies. So clearly, uh, we're going to need a permanent facility, uh, something that will allow us to do what we do now, but also to grow into. Uh, and it needs certainly to be centrally located um, in terms of, of having good access to the uh, public transportation system here locally. So uh, we'll need some help with that a little bit down the road. For the moment, uh, we're fine, but uh, that is a, a challenge for us as we look to the, the next five years. Mm-hmm. All right. And Barry, mm-hmm. what uh, is the goal for United Way for 2007 and how, how are you doing? Well, we, t- we talk about the need for resources and the need for resources includes, as people have mentioned, the need for volunteers and, and volunteers, whether it's volunteer to help keep help with the accounting or volunteers to help move food. Um, we also talk, need, talk about the need for stuff, um, things that can be donated, things that can be helpful in these programs, anything rain, uh, including cars and food and, and again, call 211 with any of those things that people might have. Um, but certainly one of the major resources we need because sometimes that's just what it takes is is funding. Um, and as Joel and Julia have mentioned, funding is becoming increasingly short supply. Um, but our local communities have responded. They have been very generous. We do say thank you. The United Way goal this year is $1,440,000. We are close to halfway there. This is about where we would um, expect to be at this time of year. Last year, we were at about this point too, and, but we the campaign came up short. So we are not resting. We continue to um, to invite people to join us, to invite people to call United Way at 812-334-8370. Get on our website at MonroeUnitedWay.org. Um, talk with us. Learn about the um, all the great work that's going on here in this area and, and how people might be able to help. So we, we really encourage people to be generous. We have 26 excellent member agencies, including Hoosier Hills Food Bank, Shalom Community Center, and 24 others, all of whom are working equally hard in their own areas of expertise, um, whether it's serving food, providing health care, making sure people are housed, helping people who are victims of domestic violence. We need all of those services in our community, and it's important for Joel to be able to pick up the phone and know that he's going to get an answer um, from Middleway House or know he's going to get an answer from Community Kitchen when he needs those services. That's the opportunity of contributing to United Way is we ensure all of those services are available as they're needed by individuals and by other agencies. So we're hoping we hit our 1.440 goal. Last year we didn't, um, but I think everybody wants this year to be different. So let's – well, I have a couple follow-ups. One is uh, you, I've always I've told you this. I think sure. it's very succinct that you have these seven basic principles and goals of, of United Way. Could you go through those? Absolutely. We want every we we hope that everyone in this community, and we know that these are goals that are shared by the community. Want we want like everyone's community to have sufficient food, and that's certainly something we've talked about today. We'd like people to have a safe place to live. And again, we know that homelessness is one of those, those very difficult issues that we, work want, that we want to help people recover from. We um, want to make sure that people have access to basic health care, whether that's physical health or mental health basic health care. We want people to have access to emergency services in the time of a crisis. Last year in this county, we had 28 emergencies, all of which were house fires. Families get displaced by those sorts of emergencies. Some years it's going to be a tornado. Some years it's going to be some other disaster. We want to make sure we have those services in place or sometimes it's very internal in the case of violence in the home um, or some, some something that really changes the family's ability to feel safe. We want to make sure that children and youth have the opportunity to grow and prosper, that seniors have the opportunity to stay independent, and that people have the opportunity to both enter and stay 
in the workforce. And we, we feel that those cover the range of human service needs and, of course, um, included in that population that we talk about staying, in, remaining independent, building up job needs, making sure safe places to live include people with disabilities. That is imbued throughout our seven goals. Now, I also want to mention, and, and you know, as you know, I, I donate a little bit to United Way. And we're and, very grateful. <laughs> and uh, the Donor Choice Program yep. has been something that I've taken advantage of sure. the last couple of years and that there's an agency in town that uh, I'll just mention and Julia will appreciate it, yep. the, the Monroe County Humane Association. That's mm-hmm. not a United Way member agency. But instead of donating to them separately, I actually do donate my normal level to United Way, then add what I want to donate to them. So it's all payroll deduction, which is a very simple way for some people. You know, if you if you mm-hmm. are in a company that provides that service to you, it's a very simple way to just keep the money flowing year-round without having to write that big check at the end of the year. So again, the don- Donor Choice Program, could you talk about that? Absolutely. Donor Choice Program is designed to make sure that people have an opportunity to do those sorts of things with their philanthropy they'd like to do. And and for instance, there are a 26 member agencies of United Way. There are other agencies in this community that people want to support. We want to provide a mechanism for doing that. We really appreciate uh, when people do donate the amount to United Way that they would like to see go to to all to the 26 member agencies and then um, layer this other donations on top of that. And certainly, there's a list on our website. Just about any nonprofit in this area, 501c3, as we're all used to reading about in the tax code, but if they're a 501c3 organization, a nonprofit organization, they operate here, um, we want to make sure that donors have the ability to donate through payroll deduction if their employer offers that. It does, again, these are there are good causes in our community animal welfare, historic preservation, um, and they help make this a better community. And we hope in the long run, attract people here who want to work here, who want to start businesses here, um, who want to help this economy grow because that's what's going to provide some relief from poverty as well, helping people get good jobs that pay well enough that they they aren't in poverty and make sure that they have the education and training to prepare for those. So again, whatever we can do to help make Bloomington and Monroe County a better place is going to have ramifications on all of these issues. Okay, we only have two minutes to go, but I want to ask all three of you to uh, sort of give me a you know a last sort of wish for your agency, and and if if all or one of you at least wants to talk about the fact that we are in the holiday season, which is a good timing for this, but the holiday season is just one month of the year roughly, but these needs go on all year. So if maybe one of you would address that, I, too. I can take that one. Okay. I, I think uh, it's important for the community to understand that poverty is a year-round issue. Um, Hunger and homelessness is every bit as devastating in May and August as it is this time of year. Uh, We have a a tremendous social safety net in Bloomington and Monroe County, and that's largely due to the support of community members. But that needs to be maintained year-round, and we need to be very vigilant that that safety net remains strong. All right. Barry, one minute. One minute. Well, my, um, half my, for you. Thirty half for me. Exactly. That's right. Don't 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 give me too much. The um, my my wish would be that we do what we want to do every day of the year. All of our agencies address the critical needs right now, and make sure we're doing all we can to reduce the demand for those services in the future. So right now, um, the United Way campaign is ongoing. One point four four million dollars will be what we hope will help all these agencies, but we want to make sure we're improving people's lives. That's our wish for every day throughout the year. 30 seconds. Well, my, my wish ultimately would be that none of this were necessary, but but unfortunately it, it is, and I'm just very gratified, to, as Joel said, that we do have a very generous community that makes it possible for those of us working in, in nonprofits to be able to feed the hungry, uh, find some place to for the for the homeless, and, uh, and take care of those animals as well, Bob, because we all know animals are people too. Right? I want to thank uh, our guests, Julio Alonzo, Barry Lesso, and Joel Rikas. For engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Have a good holiday season. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.